When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How will the playoff races shake out? What is the future of Derrick Rose? Should the Pelicans trade Boogie Cousins? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast and as always, I'm joined by Dave Dufour on a nice Monday, as we're recording on Sunday night, but Monday. And we're solving the NBA's problems, one question at a time. So, Dave, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, as always. As always. Um, we have a lot to talk about, I imagine, in this show. And um, we certainly were going to look forward to your questions that you're going to throw out here at, on Periscope as well while we record this. And uh, I don't know, let's jump right into it. I know we wanted to look at the, the playoff races first and see how that's shaping up. So what do you have for me right now? Uh, yeah, so um, the, the West is almost fully set. Uh, I think the, the Blazers will probably lock up that eighth spot, in, I think, by Wednesday. I think their magic number is like two. Mm-hmm. So a combination of wins uh, wins for them and losses for the Nuggets equaling two, and they are the eighth seed. Um, and, and I think the only other change we might have is that 4-5, you've got the Jazz and Clippers a game apart. So uh, And the Jazz are playing the Spurs as we're recording. So, uh, yeah, That's and true. then in the East, um, I mean, we were going to talk a little bit about Cleveland continuing to struggle with their defense, um, but they're the two seed. Uh, Boston has a, a solid game advantage. Uh, they play Wednesday, so that could very well be the decider in in that one seed race. Um, the Raptors and Wizards are are in a in a tie for third, but the Raptors have the tiebreaker. So um, yeah, and then the Hawks have dropped to the sixth seed and are you know threatening to fall to that eighth spot, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, it, it, amazingly enough, yes, that's true. I'm kind of call up real quick to see, <clears throat> do we have a Lowry injury update at all uh, if he's going to make it back before the end of the year? We've heard nothing. Um, the Raptors are notoriously tight-lipped about this their injury news, so uh, I wouldn't expect to hear anything until he's coming back on the court. Okay, yeah, I don't see much at all about what he's gonna ha- what's going to happen. I know the timeline indicated that like around the playoff starting was when he should be back, so I suppose that we could still expect that. But again, we talked about that in the past where uh, your shooting wrist is it's just something that's not going to come back that quickly, and it would just be a miracle, honestly, if he could um, if he could possibly come back and be like effective from the outside at least, uh, short of just being a decoy and running the offense. But certainly his shooting, uh, I would be surprised if it actually was was solid. Absolutely, yeah, and you know, and then there's the conditioning stuff too. So, oh, um, absolutely, the conditioning. Now he could be conditioning, you know, right? He, he can do that without, uh, you know. But you know, it's different when you're actually out there playing in a game. You know, like there's game conditioning. I think you know the three game mark is kind of what they ought to be shooting for. Get him back for three regular season games. And hope he's ready to roll for the playoffs. Um, 
So we've actually got a really good question that I think sort of relates to the first thing we were going to talk about, which is uh, Derek Rose uh, going to miss the remainder of the season with a torn meniscus. And, um, you know, usual listener, Puff 17 asked us uh, <laughs> if Derek Rose would be a good fit for the Spurs. Uh, I, I believe Isaiah Thomas said that on NBA TV. And uh, I don't know. I think, I think Derek Rose... I think that someone that doesn't need him to start, I think someone that could bring him off the bench as like the sixth man, play him 20 to 24 minutes a night, he could be useful. But I just don't know, man. The the knees just seem to be his Achilles heel, so to speak. I mean, even if his knees were 100,000%, you know, if you watched what the Spurs are doing to the Jazz today, I got to check the score right now, but in the first half there, their wonderful ball movement, like there's just no way I could ever see Rose fitting into that. And so as a result, I don't see how he would ever be able to learn how to like make that first pass, move in the offense, and then come around and attack off of like a handoff into the middle. Although he would be awesome at it, um, you know, when he's fully healthy. But there's just no evidence that he's been uh, willing or able to exist in that kind of environment. And if that's the case, then I just don't see why he would ever go there. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that he may be in a Dion Waiters situation next year. Um, you know, he might he might have to sign the, the short, uh, low-value deal and mm. uh, bet on himself having a, a, a good season next year. And I don't know who would sign him. I, honestly, I don't think the Spurs would. Um, you know, don't forget, he's got some baggage, you know, uh, as far as character baggage goes, left over from the beginning of the season. I don't know. You know, the Spurs typically try to avoid those guys, so. Uh, yeah, that's the other thing, too. I mean, there, there is definitely baggage. I mean, it wasn't pretty what was going on in that lawsuit stuff, and it was all a bit conjecture, I suppose, but certainly the kind of drama that Spurs would probably want to stay away from. I mean, are we ruling out him staying in New York? I just can't see it happening, man. Like, I think that, you know, I don't think that this season was very productive for them, period, uh, and I don't know that they really loved – Derrick Rose. I, now, I fully expected, if he'd finished the season healthy, I fully expected them to wind up giving him the max or something close to it, mm-hmm. just ridiculously. But I, I think now, nah, probably not. not. I mean, not with another knee surgery. Right. It's it, And it's too bad. Uh, and again, it's, uh, I, I don't know, was it an injury or just sort of like uh, just wear and tear? I, I missed it's the news. It's the a news. torn meniscus. So he's having surgery. Uh, the timetable is six to eight weeks. And I wonder if this might be a thing where, you know, this summer, I mean, he is a free agent. I wonder if teams are going to have him or request that he come and go through a workout, right? Like just to make sure he's healthy. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising or at the very least, you know, run him through all the tests and, you know, with their doctors and then demand that. Now, I, and he, it's up to him if he's going to want to share all that information, right? Because that's the other issue. If they open up their medical records, then that, that you know, might be something that the other teams don't want to see or like they don't want the other teams to see. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that's going to play out and what the market's going to be like because, uh, yeah, th- there is probably some value for him, but it's really just too bad. Meniscus of all the things, though, is supposedly the thing that he could probably recover from the easiest. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and and a lot of it depends, like how severe the tear is, whether they're going to actually remove part of the meniscus or whether they can stitch it. So you know, and we you know we don't really have any any info. We just have the preliminary reports. So right, a lot of this will be judge it later. 
Well, let's get back to the, the playoff race for a second because I did want to talk about the bottom of the West because it was interesting how this played out. And everyone pretty much predicted that, that the Blazers were going to be able to take that spot because uh, their schedule got so easy. And it was you know the hardest schedule of anybody through the first three quarters of the season. And so just by that virtue alone, they're kind of getting into that eighth spot. But now they lose Nurkic. Um, and it sounded like I, I didn't see that injury either. He broke his leg. And I think that's what they're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's got a non-displaced uh, fibial fracture, and uh, he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. But I, I think that the Blazers probably have this locked up. They're nine and one in their last ten, and as you said, they've got the easiest schedule, you know, from here on out. So you know, I, I expect them to just go ahead and lock it up this week. Um, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard have both been playing out of their minds. And Nurkic, as you said, I mean, Nurkic has been a revelation since he's been traded there. So uh, including uh, playing against the Nuggets and going off like 33 yeah. points. And, I mean, just, you know, I, I like a guy that's got a little dog in him. And I think Nurkic makes them a different team. Um, and I'm excited to see how they look next year with, you know, a training camp and a full year of Nurkic. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there was definitely every shot he made and every rebound was a big F.U. Uh, it sounded like to the Nuggets, which, uh, you know, it's which reminded me slightly of like when McDermott finally got off the bench and started playing a little bit. And, and like, you know, you can just sense that he was like a big F.U. to Thibodeau for not playing in his rookie year. But this was a lot different because he was dominating. Uh, I don't see how the Blazers can actually replace that production, right? No, and I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think they're going to. Um... But I think that their hope is that it's not that big a deal and he can come back and play in the first round. I mean, look, they're going to get swept by the Warriors anyway. Um, so I would like to see them just hold him out for the rest of the year regardless. But if he's healthy and can play, it at least gives them, you know, there's a puncher's chance. Especially Absolutely. with the way the Warriors have struggled against, you know, bigs that can rebound. So Right. Well... Uh, we should move on to uh, something else that we were talking about on the East. I suppose it's the, the Cavaliers and how that's shaping up at the top of the uh, conference. Uh, I, I think it's a huge surprise to most people that they're not going to end up in the first spot, it looks like. Yeah, I think Boston's going to lock this up. Uh, they play Wednesday, and um, I, I really think that that'll be the deciding game for this. And, and you know, Boston is just so consistent. Like, I, I really think that they're going to be – they're a good regular season team, and I don't know how good they can be in the playoffs. The lack of guard creation outside of Isaiah Thomas troubles me. But they, the, the way they play defense every night gives them a shot to be the one seed. And, and with Cleveland, when their shots aren't falling, they don't have the defense to back it up. So I, I really think that they're, this year we could have four, one of four teams come out. And I don't think that Cleveland – is necessary. They're probably the favorites to come out of the East, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's a lock like it was or like it felt four months ago. Yeah, it's definitely very cloudy, especially considering they're the defending champions, which is very strange. And, you know, they've adjusted their roster to the point where it's similar to what it was last year. And they've got Kyle Korver now in a way that, like, they, it should be improved. But you're right. Their defense is a real, uh, you know, terrible SHIT show. And um, it's, it's, I don't see how that switch gets flipped, um, you know, short of having to make the most ridiculous plays to recover on the drives they're giving up. And that's just sort of the recipe for disaster. Although if we're talking recipes for success, then we need to take a second to talk about Harry's razors. 
a place to get high quality razors to shave your face. The trial set came to my door in a cool package with shaving gel, four razors, an easy to hold handle, and an even cooler story about their founders, Jeff and Andy, who literally bought their own factory to make razors for two bucks a blade, half of what you'd pay when going through the hassle of driving to the drugstore, waiting for the dude to open up the special locked case, since I guess there's a black market for stolen razor blades or something, and that's if you even remember to buy them while you're getting shampoo and soap and everything else. So head over to harrys.com coachnick and you'll get their trial set for free. There's a small shipping fee and you'll get a truly great shave out of it and you'll always have that smooth shave and soft skin. That's harrys.com coachnick to have all of your shaving needs delivered right to your door and you'll have a shave as smooth as a crossover step back pull up swish. Let me throw out the, the remaining schedule for the Cavs. This is so we can get a handle on what's going to happen. Is So they play the Pacers and the Magic at home at Boston, which is that big game you just talked about on Wednesday, April 5th. And it's the second of a back-to-back, by the way, on the road. Then they play the Hawks at home, Hawks away, the Miami Heat away, which might be a big game for the Heat as well, and then the Raptors away uh, at home. Uh, not easy. There's a lot of you know tough games in there. And uh, the, when you compare that to the Celtics, who they have left, um, they're at the Knicks. Eh? They're going to be home with the Cavaliers, like we mentioned. Then they're going to be on the road to the Hawks, on the road to Charlotte. Then they get to have the Nets come in at home and then the Bucks. So it, distinctly easier, it seems like, for the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, this is where that, you know, the, the tricks of the schedule kind of come into play. And this is why a game, you know, throwing these games in, in December and January come back to bite you in the in the tail oh yeah this time of year you know i mean i i I wonder if one of the six games that lebron took off um and i'm not knocking him for resting but i'm just saying this is where in an 82 game season if you're too cute with when you're resting if you're too cute about trying to flip a switch come playoff time for your defense well now you're not going to be the one seed well, the other problem with that is, is that when you have Kyrie and, and uh, Kevin Love to play on that on, on that team, that should be enough in a regular season game in certain times to win that game anyway, and they didn't. We, we should probably look at those games and the records of when LeBron sat out. Do you, you don't have those handy, do you? Oh, they haven't won a game with him sitting out. They oh, were is that 0-6. right? I yeah, last that. time I okay. looked, they were 0-6. So, you know, that's a real problem either way because those weren't the toughest games, if I remember. Like, they they were, you know, games I thought they probably could win without him. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got to – they've got bench problems. You know, when LeBron's not on the court, they have trouble scoring, um, and their defense doesn't get any better either. So uh, they've got some real issues when LeBron's not out there. But LeBron in the playoffs is going to play 40 to 42 minutes a night. So you only got to you know, suffer for six minutes without him. And uh, I, I think they're going to be okay. But, again, the defense really does concern me. If their shots are not falling, they have nothing to st- – like they cannot stop the other team from scoring. So they're going to lose. And, and um, I just think that the first-round matchup for them really matters a lot. If the playoffs started today, they'd be playing the Bulls, who just beat them. I mean, I don't know if the Bulls win a seven-game series against them, but the Bulls – Play them tough. Jimmy Butler hangs with LeBron. You know, like, it, it's not the easiest road anymore. Right. And the other thing is um, the idea that um, the Bulls are playing without Wade and they're playing better. 
uh, without Wade. Maybe a little bit more consistent. Someone asked me that on Twitter earlier today, and I think that's the key is that when you have to try and play those three guys together, it's a recipe for inconsistency. It's really hard to build something out of that because they each need to have the ball a lot. uh, And then, you know, Wade doesn't shoot threes and spread the floor as much. Uh, Butler just seems to be better and more effective when he is the man as the alpha dog doesn't have to share. Um, And plus, you know, Wade's defense isn't a factor. When he's out there, it is. And so, um, you know, that indicates to me something at least is going on there where the Bulls are, you know, six and four. They've won the last three. So there's some momentum there. And, you know, now they're, they're like, you know, three-way tie for that eighth or that – how we, what do we say? It's a three-way tie for the seventh spot then, I guess is what we're saying, right? It's a three-way tie for the seventh spot, yeah, and the Bulls have the, the tiebreaker over the Heat and the Pacers. Ah. So the Pacers right now, if the playoffs started today, they are on the outside looking in. Wow, and that's another thing because they were kind of, you know, firmly in that in that spot where it wasn't they weren't going to be threatened yet. So that's going to be an interesting way to, to see how that plays out as well. And again, you know, the Paul George thing—he's uh, just not whatever his effect in the game used to be for the team as far as wins goes. It's just not there this year. No, I agree with you. And, and you know, this could be this, his frustration. You know, um, they've they've really failed to put a good team around him. Um, I, I predicted this coming into the season. I, I figured that they would struggle to make the playoffs. Um, a lot of people thought they would be one of the best four teams in the East, and I, I just don't get it. I think that's putting a little bit too much, giving Paul George a little bit too much credit for what he can actually do alone. And, and that's not a knock on him. He's a good player. I just don't think that, you know, he's not LeBron. LeBron gets you to the finals. Paul George, we haven't seen it yet. Right. And, and he just doesn't have much help. Exactly. Which is why he's going to leave. He's going to go to L.A. And Larry Bird has kind of screwed the pooch on this whole thing. Yep. Well, it's tough because, I mean, Larry's only salvation would have been to, I guess, put better players around him. And, you know, it's tough if your hands are tied and you have an issue with, like, the ownership who doesn't want to spend money or whatever. Like, sometimes it's it, that might be what you – this is what you can do. It's, it's not easy. But then again, you know, there are probably some pickups that other people got that they could have – uh, that you know that that reflects poorly. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if we really feel like Larry Bird is a you know a stellar GM anyway. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, he did sign Lance Stevenson again, right? Well, we talked about that last show, didn't we? We talked about that on the five and five. Okay, that's true. Oh, which by the way, you know, on our new Patreon account, we have a really cool thing um, where you have tiers, and you know, the first tier is a five in five show that Dave and I do, where we talk about the latest in the NBA, and we did Lance, and we did KD injury, and all sorts of interesting stuff. And then the second tier, if you want to head over to patreoncom breakdown, is a uh, really cool thing. We we take a specific play that we really like, we break it down, like really into depth frame by frame and explain what's going on. And then the, 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 the third tier is I do a really in-depth player breakdown, just like you'd seen Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz and Josh Jackson. We do those for all the NBA draft um, people. And plus, I'll do some NBA players to mix it in there as well. So uh, a lot of really good stuff over there. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, any time we can put out some content together, it's a good thing. So hopefully uh, people enjoy it. Yeah, and it's content you can't get anywhere else. What Patreon over there? So, uh, so check it out and, and become a patron because uh, you'll you'll get a lot more of great stuff. Up to three extra videos a week uh, for for very little investment. So, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about. Um, I have a really good question actually from oh. MSU Bulldog who asks, okay. "Who is the one team out west that will give the Warriors a tough matchup outside the Spurs?" Well, Dang. I think the Rockets could. I mean, you know, it's tough to say that on a week where, you know, the Warriors beat them twice, 
pretty easily. Um, but the rock, if the Rockets got hot, I think the Rockets could could make it to the finals. You know, um, we with the way they shoot, I think it's possible. The, the The problem for the Rockets is that the Warriors have completely figured out how to guard James Harden. I mean, he's been pretty bad against them for the last couple seasons. So that's you know that's troubling it, when when the freaking engine for your offense just isn't very effective, and especially a guy like Harden is who's so consistently effective. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say the Rockets, but I really think it's the Spurs or the Warriors. Um, maybe the Jazz could do something; they could make a little noise, but I, I just I haven't seen it. So I, I would say really nobody. I think I, you know Spurs. Spurs or Warriors are coming out of the West. Yeah, the Jazz today, like by the way, they open up and their defense looked pretty pretty sluggish. Uh, and they let the Spurs have any pass and any shot they wanted. They did kind of, at the end of the first half, clo- uh, improve their intensity and it was better. But uh, they also can't score. If you want to beat the Warriors, you have to be able to score. And I mean score well. And that's why I agree. The Rockets are one of those teams where it's going to be a shootout because the, de- the, the defense of the Warriors is so good that if, if you're going to beat them, it's going to have to be where you're just going on fire and, and knocking down shots. And you beat them like, what, 120 to 115 or something like that. And you can do that four times times uh good luck but um yeah i don't see anybody else in the west really besides the spurs who can kind of control the tempo better uh i went to the clippers game clippers lakers yesterday and how was it i was kind of curious to see like what the um what the what the temperature of the room was as far as like you know it's an interesting thing because they're both you know the la teams um and uh, there's just something lacking like the clippers looked uh, really, really sloppy. I mean, they were thrilled. They, they, they should have been up huge in the beginning, and they kept throwing the balls away and didn't look good. And then they basically got the Lakers into foul trouble really early in the third quarter, and then Chris Paul literally just drew a foul on every possession, it seemed like, and free throws. And that was it. The game was over. So um, there's just something lacking, I think, energy-wise. They, they don't, I don't know if they enjoy playing with each other. And, again, that's just pure conjecture. But you can see when teams enjoy playing with each other. And um, – and there just seems to be a little bit of a something going on there with everybody that I, I just don't know. I think that's a, an issue. And you, you could say, oh, they're, it's, they're a professional team. They should be able to overcome that and just play. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's, Blake uncorks a few terrible post-up moves with bad footwork every game. Um, you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan basically just dunks and rebounds. He doesn't do anything offensively really besides that. And it's, they, they make it work. But uh, anyway, so it just doesn't, you don't get that feeling of invincibility certainly from the Clippers. Well, let me steal a question from the Periscope chat here. Yeah. If you were the GM of the of the Clippers, would you let Blake walk and try to do a teardown? Um, I, it's too bad that you let to let him walk and not just get something for him. But um, I would. All right. Well, I mean, I, I think we agree there. I think that this team, you know, I think teams have a shelf life, and and if you've played together five or six years, like this team has been together. Um, and you haven't gotten over, uh, you know, a certain hurdle. I just think it's time to move on. And and the Blake DeAndre pairing just doesn't really work. Um, so you know, I'd rather have for me, I'd rather have Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan than than any other combination of those, you know, two of those three guys. Um, the issue is that they're probably going to wind up losing Redick. Uh, they they've got some serious cap issues, so it's going to be tough for them to to really do a whole lot this summer. Um, uh, well, where does Reddick go? That's another interesting question. Then, well, I, I think that for a guy that shoots like he does, you know, he's he's gonna be looking at twenty million a year. Um, and I think that there's, I mean, there's a lot of teams that would love to have that guy. 
Yeah, and by the way, he had a possession guarding uh, Jordan Clarkson, and Jordan did his best to shake and bake him and get away. I mean, he literally just did not give up any space and uh, forced a bad shot. Uh, and then he's coming off full speed pin downs, like in that Corver role. And he might, I think he might be better than Corver now at those, at those full speed, you know, uh, inside foot pivots, you know, catch and shoot threes. Uh, which are the most difficult I can imagine. And uh, he really, yeah, he is a really good shooter. Uh, and it was really cool to kind of watch him even just warming up. He got there pretty early. And uh, just seeing his form, which is, again, he's got one of the most, uh, you know, I don't want to call it severe, but he has the, one of the most in-air turns that you're going to see of any shooter. Um, and it's beautiful to watch because it's so smooth. Well, speaking of amazing shooters, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Warriors and how good they've been. I mean, they're playing their best basketball right now. They've won 10 straight. Um, they've really figured out their defense, minus KD, which is something to, to monitor when KD comes back. Because now, you know, they don't really need the rim protection that they were getting from KD. They really have gotten their rotations down, and, and guys are, I mean, they're working really hard, and Draymond has been outstanding. So I wonder if KD comes back, do we see this defense go you know, get even better? Or does this just mean when KD is out, the defense won't fall apart? Uh, you know, that is a great question because, yeah, you're right. Now that they've kind of figured it out without him, and they certainly have. I mean, they look uh, as invincible as they had before before they got him. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like they, they, they were able to capture that in the bottle, and they went through their struggles in the beginning. Oh, they didn't kill him on the record. Um, I, they'll probably be able to get it back. It's just really a question of, you know, can they get those – I, I would probably feel safe in predicting that they get it back pretty quick if they had like three games, right? If they don't have three games, they got to try and do it in the playoffs. Uh, it's going to be tough, but at least the first round, you know, no offense to Portland, but that should be a round where they could get, they could even play KD like just 20 minutes a game to kind of get his legs underneath him. Um, and because uh, again, his cardio will certainly be an issue, I'd imagine, to start for the first like three weeks, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that their target is to get him back with. With three games left in the regular season, um, and and you and I have talked quite a bit about this. I, I think that in reintegrating him into the offense will be much easier than the defense. I, I just think, you know, he he'll he'll be easing back into playing games anyway. So it'll be you know nice and easy. Run run some spot ups for him, things like that. Um, have him come off pin downs. You know, probably not put the ball in his hand a whole lot especially since they, they, hopefully they know that their best offense is when Steph initiates. So, uh, Yes, that is true. And, and that's the other issue with the whole offense is that when he gets off ball too much, the other team tends to beat him up, and then that kind of becomes a problem where they can't, uh, that he can't get free and the referees allow it. And so it's not a foul if they allow it. And um, that, that's where you're right. When, when he has the ball and able to attack, that's when they're – I, I, yeah, they're probably at their best, you know. Aside from like you know when Durant's coming off those screens too, it's really uh, it's a good balance that they were able to find. If they can find it again, they'd be they're, they're going to win no problem. Okay, so we got a, another question here uh, from Rami Nose. Uh, thoughts on the Pelicans' recent play? What's their top priorities for the off season? Thoughts? I think they need some cheap shooters. Um, you know, <laughs> they, their all. cap. Their cap situation is not going to be great. They're going to wind up giving something close to max for for Holiday, and um, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. And and I don't know if keeping Boogie is a good idea beyond this summer. I think that I would not be surprised to hear they're engaged in trade talks after the season. Maybe trying to get you know a, a high lottery pick or or an established player. 
Um, they, they've been doing some more interesting things offensively with Boogie and Anthony Davis together. But Anthony Davis is playing so much better when Boogie's not on the court that you really you, you have to start thinking, okay, so we, we might just have to go with the more talented guy, which do you, would you rather have the younger, super talented guy or the, the older guy who's maybe a little bit of a not, – I'm not going to call him a head case, but – You can call him a head case. Go ahead. Well, there are certainly people that would call him that. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see them considering trading Boogie this summer if they could get a haul for him. Oh, uh, that, you know, it's fascinating, but I, probably because I think, you know, you never know until you, until you know what you got. And, you know, you look at Boogie on paper, and you're like, wow, we just got the best center in the, in, the, in the NBA. And then they get him, and he's in the practices, and he's moving around, and he's inter- in, interacting. So that's a question, right? Like, well, now w- what do they think? And the culture there isn't necessarily the kind of thing where we'd associate with, like, Spurs, the Warriors, or, you know, Cavs. So it's hard to know what they end up feeling about that kind of thing, because I don't think Boogie's changed, right? He's probably the same old Boogie. Yeah, I mean, he's he's gotten a couple texts since he's been in New Orleans. Okay, well, that's that's yeah. something. So um, I'm you know I'm kind of curious as I'm calling this up. I, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Anthony Davis when Boogie is out. Although I don't know, I guess what we'll to compare everything else, but I'm kind of I just kind of grab his points per possession. Yeah, is is pretty pretty healthy with uh, with Boogie on the bench. And uh, I, I mean, listen, I, I would always go with the younger guy anyway. But, you know, and then you have to worry that they uh, the influence of Boogie on Anthony Davis could be negative. Oh, I, yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, so, and then we've got, let's, for the last question, um, this has been asked quite a, quite a few times in the, uh, in the Periscope chat here. Um, Tracy McGrady, Hall of Famer or not? Ooh. You know, the Hall of Fame thing we talked about before, I think, uh, it's a very confusing thing to me. I don't understand the criteria a lot of the time. Like, when Gary Payton made it, like, I kind of sort of question that to some degree. Uh, I, here's what I usually say about Tracy McGrady. I had never seen, up until that point, a pro score as easily as he ever as he did. Ever, I never up until that point, and maybe like Durant is kind of kind of come back. Although his offense the, in OKC was so difficult on the ISOs, but create Tracy McGrady literally was just sort of like eloquent, and he would just sort of flow and move, and it's just like oh well, foop, and then he just scores six threes in a row and post up whatever. So I'd never seen a guy score that easily. And I watched Michael Jordan for almost his entire career in many of those games live. Uh, and McGrady was scored easier than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it, the, the tough part for me with McGrady is just the longevity. You know, um, how, how great was he and for how long? You know, like you, you want to have like three or four or five years of a guy being one of the best five players. Um, either that or a very long, consistent career. You know, so like Reggie Miller is one of the more long, consistent career guys. He was never one of the best five players in the league. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, that, you know, well, okay. It's a, it's a delicate balance though, because you don't want to get in the situation where you're kind of like stringing out your career. And like, I think that's sort of what I responded to with Gary Payton, because I remember him with the Lakers and they went to the heat and, you know, that was just him, you know, and he was okay, you know, uh, but he wasn't as good as he had been, obviously, you know, whatever. But, but when they point to his longevity and, like, the milestones he got because he strung out the career, like, so many extra years, that's why he got in. And so then I'm kind of like, okay, at his peak, you know, Sean Kemp was the Hall of Famer on that team, not him. Uh, I as agree. Far as, you know, that's how I always felt. Like, and I think we talked about this before. 
like when I go to a game, I want to walk out and say, "Man, I just saw a Hall of Famer." Like that—that's that's my criteria, you know. Aside from yeah. anything else, well, it's I like tell you, it walks like a duck, right? Like, like yeah. the, how do you know someone belongs in a Hall of Fame? You just know there, there shouldn't be a thing where you have to hesitate. Yeah. And it's like you can just you can just see it. He's a man among boys. I never mm-hmm. felt that way with Gary Payton, but um, but you know. I, so here's the question: Like Gale Sayers made the NFL Hall of Fame. He played like seven years total before he got hurt, and that wasn't a problem for the football. So is it four? Is it five? Like that's when it gets kind of arbitrary to me. Why does it have to be five years and not six? Like why is the triple double so great and and having thirty? 12 and 8 is, is a bad game that no one remembers. Like it, it's a very uh, it's a very strange way to have to judge all these things. Yeah, I agree. And then do we even answer that question? Well, I say he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. Um, I, you know what? I think the other thing is, is he's really a nice guy and I think he's made a lot of friends. And I think and that, that does help, you know, for a lot of different things. So, yeah, I, I guess I'll say, yeah, I mean, I guess it's this way. If Gary Payton made it, then I, I feel like, yeah, then, then so should Tracy McGrady. There you go. We have a question here um, from No Half Steppen. Question is, oh, question, is individual defense really equal to individual offense? I think not. Oh, wow, that's a great question. I actually misread it when he first wrote it, but is individual defense really equal to individual offense? Dave. Wait, do you, should we save this for this week's 5-5? Five and five? Oh, uh, we could do that, um, certainly. No, that feels mean. Let's, let's answer it here. All right, but what, what, let's explain what that means anyway. Our 5-5 yes. five and five is what we record after we're done with our podcast. That normally appears on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can get it over on Patreon.com. So um, if you want to hear a lot of our extra content, then, um, yeah, you can tune in over there. But, yes, it would be a little bit uh, of a tease if we didn't just answer that question right now. But uh, certainly yeah, a good I one. Agree. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I, I think someone's actually done the math on this, and, and it seems to be about 60-40. Individual offense is about 60 and individual really? defense is about 40. Yeah. Is that just because of like the, the team defense notion where you're benefiting from your other teammates more that way? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, being able to put the ball in the basket is worth more than being able to get a stop. Okay. I guess it's, it's interesting. I mean, um, I, I, don't, I wonder what the math is involved was to create that uh, stat. I have no idea, but I've, I've just seen this number thrown out there. And, and, and it sounds about right, honestly. Like, the, the defense, is, uh, an individual defender is always at a disadvantage. Um, they're more often, you know, called for fouls. Uh, you're reacting to what someone else is doing, right? So you're, uh, you know, you're having to react, so you're a step behind. And, and, you know, if you don't have good helpers around you, it makes you look even worse. So that's where I, I think the notion that 60-40 comes in because all the best defensive teams don't necessarily have the best individual defensive players. That is true. And that, that was part of the argument, like, when I was saying how Steph was uh, an elite defender and then everyone was coming back and me saying, well, it's, it's the system and it's who's playing behind him. It's helping him. And I'm like, okay, here's an edit of him where he can test shots and he cuts guys off and he holds his ground. You want to say that's because Draymond was out there? Okay, but uh, you know it's uh, 
You know, that, that is the thing. And then also it sort of borderlines into my issue I have with uh, defensive stats altogether, which are, are so problematic to me no matter what these stats assholes say, uh, pardon my French, but um, it really is frustrating because they're, they're, you know, defensive win shares and all these things, for the reason you just said, uh, there's too much noise. Offensively, there's enough I think we can kind of glean out of that stuff, and it seems to work better for me in my mind's eye. But the defensive stuff just doesn't work for me, and it, and it frustrates me that we're still, trying to like, we're still trying to grasp at that somehow, and it's just not there for me. Yeah, I think we'll get there eventually with defensive metrics. But right now, there's just none that I really trust. Uh, like, I think the eye test matters a lot. Um, the eye test and then your, you know, your on-off sort of rating, you know, I think does matter. Uh, yeah, the on-off, I mean, well, hey, last I checked, whoever scores more points wins the game, right? Absolutely. Uh, so good. Now that we're yeah, that yeah. settled. We uh, agree there. Yeah. yeah, thank goodness. Because, uh, you know, then, then, yeah, okay, right, that there's this notion of, uh, of the plus minus or certainly the, the net rating is an important uh, factor in there. Again, you know, uh, teammates being teammates. Now, but the thing with the, the net rating is you can then factor in what the, like, the average net rating is for your specific team and are you above that or below that. And that gets you a chance to sort of see apples to oranges a little bit and figure out how you're helping your team or not. And that there's a lot of value to that. And that, and that does factor in defense without question. But again, unless you're somehow measuring like, did you contest well, um, you know, and were you like close enough to your man? Or were you in the right position as the defense calls you to be? You know, like th- those are the things that you really I haven't seen anybody be able to measure that any, in any kind of like uh, automated way. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's all it's all dependent on who you're on the court with. I mean, <laughs> if if Tony Allen's out there with, um, you know, Dwayne Wade, Kyrie Irving, uh, David Lee, and I don't know who's who's a ter- oh uh, uh, Andre Drummond or somebody like that. You know, um, yeah. Well, Tony Allen's not going to be able to make up for for all of their mistakes. So right. yeah, we're uh, on the same page there. Yeah, good. Well, do you have any other questions that you grabbed from uh, while we were talking? No. Whoa. Um, well. We have, I'm sure, other things we can talk about as we, uh, we we jump up here. We talked about the Cleveland Cavaliers defense, and uh, there's got to be. Let's 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 grab a subject here. Uh, anybody? Hey, by the way, if you're on Periscope, throw a. Oh, here's a good question from uh, from Rami knows. Has the game pass Phil Jackson by? Is a triangle offense still viable in today's NBA? Oh my goodness, we have to start over this podcast if you really want me to answer that and spend the the whole time on that if you want. But let's. I'll let you take this one first. Um. I think you and I talk quite a bit about coaches and relatability, and I think the best front offices have a G. They're led by a GM that's able to relate to players, that knows how to relate to agents. And I don't know if Phil Jackson is that guy. He, you know, I think his greatest accomplishment as a coach was managing the egos in Chicago and LA. You know, like I think that was his best skill. Um, you know, Tex Winter was the guy for the triangle offense. And, and I understand Phil and his devotion to it. I totally get it. Every NBA offense uses parts of the triangle, um, but it's parts of the triangle mixed in with other things, you know, that, that have adapted from, you know, the evolution of basketball in the last 20 years. And, and the triangle, if you're only doing triangle concepts nowadays with, with the way that, you know, you can zone up, right? It's not hard to stop pure triangle actions 
they also run, tend to run them for mid-range shots, which we know is inefficient. You know, like the Knicks do this. They don't run them for threes like they could. You know, I mean, the Warriors, like, I, I would I would guess like 60% of their actions are triangle-based actions. So, you know, we know the triangle can work, but you have to adapt it to the modern game like the Warriors have. Exactly. And that, that's the key. Uh, I agree. The traditional triangle, as we saw, it has too many cuts that, like, force you to have to hold the ball and wait. And that's what the timing of the defense or the offense just dictates that. But it's minor tweaks and easy. And it's the concept overall that's really important here. If you're a Mavericks fan, you might want to put some earmuffs on because, you know, the idea is that you're not a coach micromanaging the game. You want the flow and the jazz to happen and let the players decide the game. And no one's going to argue with that. No one should argue with, like, good motion and five fingers on a hand, guys playing together and knowing where everyone's moving. Like, these are concepts that should not be argued against ever for on, on offense, right? Never on any level. This is what the triangle does give you, and it gives you an ordered way to teach it. But like you mentioned with Tex Winter, I think he is the one factor here that isn't in the other spots they try to run it and where it failed. It's always been Tex Winter. It's been Phil, too, but it's been Tex Winter who detail-oriented. We get on the guys no matter what their status was in the team. And so um, when you can have a, a free-flowing offense that doesn't require play calling and guys looking back at the bench, uh, you, you are very difficult to guard. And then again, if you can encourage the three-pointer and, and teach it spacing-wise properly, it doesn't feel like they're teaching it that way properly in New York to get those threes. It's not that hard to adjust it. I, never, I ran at the high school level, and we got plenty of threes, and we ran pure triangle. There you go. I think that that's a pretty that's a pretty good answer. Uh, yeah. Now we did have a question by Jaime thirteen over on, or maybe it's Jamie thirteen on Twitter. It said, uh, "You don't seem to be happy with Powell's performances on defense, um, and he, does he help? He neither he helps nor he stays. I'm not, as I think maybe they're asking is is he going to stay? I don't even know what his contract situation is. Are, are the Spurs going to keep him? He has a player option for next year, so he's going to opt in. I think he's going to opt in. I mean, it's like for. 18 million, I think it's it's 16 to 18 million, one of those two, and uh, yeah, he's going to opt in. I mean, he'd be crazy not to. Now, do the Spurs move him? Possibly. Um, if I like, I like what they're doing with him lately, where they're bringing him off the bench, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the fact that he's actually willingly shooting threes is a good thing. So, I, I think he's useful as that player. I think he's overpaid to do that, but um, right, yeah. I, I don't I don't hate how they're using him now. I just don't think he's a starting center. Right. And that's, my whole problem with him has always been his defense. He's, he's still really good on offense. He's mm-hmm. now shooting threes, and he can kill you, uh, you know, down low in the post every, every so often now. But, like, it, it just it doesn't take long from the time he gets into the game that he does something on defense that's so egregiously bad it gives up a layup or a dunk. And, like, if you want to know why Kawhi's defensive numbers were, were, not, were not good is because of that, uh, or a big reason is because of that. And so it's like you can't play him. And it was like it took Pop how many games till Deadman finally started? 60? Yeah, it was, it was in the 50s for sure. You know, and so it's like it, it took him so long. And I don't know if he was waiting for Powell to kind of like figure it out or get better at it or something. But he's too slow. Uh, he recognizes things very poorly now. Uh, he doesn't have the effort either in a way. Like he's just old, I guess, and, and the effort's just not like it used to be. So uh, all that extra length that he used to have, like you know, the long arms that could block shots, is not, that's not even kind of coming either. So it's a real problem. you got to be able to balance, like, okay, what can we get from him um, you know, with the time we want to put him out there? And that 20-minute range is probably pretty good. You pretty much get the best that you can get from Powell. But, again, can you afford $18 million to do that? I don't, I don't think so. 
Um, and, and so, again, I, I expect him to opt in. Um, but what the Spurs do with him, who knows? I mean, you know, Pop probably likes Powell a lot. And there yeah. are times when, you know, like, it's not the best on defense, but I love when they have Manu, David Lee, and Pau Gasol out there together because they really, they really move the ball, and, and you see some very creative cutting and passing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's really beautiful. And um, so, you know, there is some worthwhile uh, – it's worthwhile to have him out there. But, again, um, it's just really frustrating because uh, against the good teams, they are the ones who are going to expose him and really make it uh, difficult for him to be out there. And then if I were the Warriors, yeah, you would just get him into actions and they'd be forced to bench him every time. And, uh, and that's just it plays into, you know, the Warriors' hands or the Rockets' hands. They, I don't see how he's going to be able to handle that. Yeah, I, I agree. Yep. Well, we're all agreeing. So um, any other questions we have here or any fights? Anybody want to yell at us? Oh, uh, I'm sure everyone wants to yell at us. I mean, I, listen, I love Powell. You would love to have Powell in the locker room, by the way. I, don't wanna, I want to make that clear. I say that every time. Uh, I'm sure he's a fantastic teammate, a great person to have around. He just stinks at defense these days, and it's frustrating to watch. Yep, absolutely. And it's, I mean, we've been on this on this train. We've probably beat this horse to death, but uh, – Dwayne Dedman is just so much more dynamic for the Spurs. I think he, I think it's fantastic, and I think, you know, to beat the Warriors, he's the guy that that's given him the the best shot. All right, so and you know, one more thing: a lot of people are asking in the chat how we feel about co MVPs, and I, you know, I've I've been out in front of this. I'm fine with co MVPs as long as you know, like it's Kawhi and Harden. Yeah. Uh, oh, as long as it's Kawhi and Harden. Wow. That's like that's like you be, you, you accept the the uh, results of the election as long as you win. Um, you know, I am okay with it as well. I mean, listen, if they do the votes and it comes out even, like I think it happened once, right? Am I crazy? I feel like someone talked about that one year, or was it uh, no? That was rookie of the year. It was Grant Hill and uh, and Jason Kidd co okay. co rookie of the right. year. So um, if it does so, happen that way, then you know, I guess I, I, I you know it's fine it's fine with me. I don't have a problem with it. Everyone gets a trophy. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of those seasons where it, it could happen and it's hard to argue. To me, it's hard to argue if any of those three guys win the MVP at this point um, because it's a very it's an aesthetic uh, vote at this point. It's what do you what do you value more? And I tend to overvalue defense in comparison to other people. And so, like, for me, what Kawhi is doing as like a top five offensive player and as the best, you know, one or two defensive players in the league. Uh, yeah, I, I'd take Kawhi. Yeah, and by the way, we're really lucky that KD got hurt because he would have easily been in this conversation and should have uh, had just as much of an argument as just about everybody else. Uh, you know, the uh, thing I think that there's an argument to be made that Steph Curry's the MVP. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I've looked at his numbers since KD went down, but I'm assuming they're, they're amazing. Uh, they're okay. I mean, it's 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 only twenty five points a game, but like you know that that team when when Steph Curry is off, that team right. is not as good, and and they're the best team in the league. And I think that if you're the best player on the best team in the league, if you don't get a vote for MVP, there's something wrong. Right, and he's going to be a fifth place if he's lucky. Oh yeah, no, he won't. I don't think he'll get any top five votes. Right, it's a fascinating thing, and we've never had this. And by the way, they can run it back again next year and have the same the same way because. These guys are all in their prime, 
Yep. Uh, in fact, this is an interesting thing. I don't think we've ever had like this many MVP, legit MVP categories who can do this for multiple years, right? I, I can't remember a time. It's a fascinating time, which is kind of exciting in a way because this is a great argument to have. I mean, this is, if you're talking about sports arguments and what you want to do, this is one of the good ones. And, um, you know, the, the thing that it seems to be screaming here is that, you know, like Russell Westbrook sort of seems like he is not going to get it. Yeah, I don't think he is. And, and you know, uh, you know, if you pulled a bunch of the people that vote, uh, it seems like Harden is basically the guy. Yeah. Remember how boring this regular season was supposed to be? You know, <laughs> oh, we're going to get the Cavs and the Warriors for sure in the finals. Uh, why even bother to have a regular season? Meanwhile, it's been one of the most fun regular seasons I can think of. It has. Actually, it has. It's been a weird regular season. The All-Star game was late. Um, just everything kind of got discombobulated, I think, off of that for some reason for me. And now I can't believe there's only, only like, what, six or seven games left. It's just a, it's these weird time warps where it seemed like it was kind of going slow, and now it's just really gotten fast, and I cannot believe uh, that we're that the eve of the playoffs are, on, uh, are upon us. Yeah, we're just under two weeks away. And, you know, speaking of which, you and I, we're going to be bumping up the live shows. We're going to be putting out even more content during the playoffs. So everybody, make sure that you're subscribed on all of the rel- relevant mediums. YouTube, yeah. Periscope, Twitter, everything. Because we are going to be inundating you with content. Yes. And on Twitter, you should turn your alerts on. You can turn it just for when there's live content attached to the tweet, like what we're doing right now on Periscope. So you don't have to get all my alerts for every tweet I ever do. But if you turn on for the live content, uh, it'll be really good for you because you'll know when we, when we launch this. Because you never know. We might be gripped with something or some big news might happen and we got to comment on it right away and you don't want you to miss it. And that said, you can always go back and see it uh, you know, on Periscope at any time you like on demand. It's always there as well. So um, and yeah, we're going to be starting to do this on YouTube as well. Again, we're going to get that ramped up. So uh, it's going to be incredible. We're going to hammer this thing uh, big time in that, in the, especially in that first round. With all these games coming fast and furious. We'll be we'll be we'll be doing something every day. It seems like. Yeah, I think so. I, I can't come up with a reason not to. Right? Why not come out here and yeah. hang out in Periscope for a while and record some stuff? So, uh, well, Dave, uh, another great show in the can. Can't yeah. thank you enough for, for, you know, taking a little Sunday uh, stroll with me. And uh, also for everyone on Periscope, another great show there, great questions. So don't forget, we're recording these every Sunday for our Monday release on iTunes. And I know you probably heard like, you know, five, six, seven minutes of this thing. So come back and hear the whole thing tomorrow, bright and early for the commute Monday morning uh, as we release it over on iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere else. So, Dave, thanks for joining us. Uh, a great show. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown. Not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am.